0: When Jesus said heaven, what he really meant was the kingdom. That's what Dr. Todd Mangum said to me in between Mike and Jesus Day. As I peppered him with questions a few months before quarantine started. I sat down with him, I heard him speak, and uh, he said some things that got my mind thinking, so I came up afterwards after his talk and I said, let me ask you some questions. He's a professor uh, um, at Mississippi Seminary, right here in Philadelphia, and I started asking him all these questions. He said, hey, I don't have a lot of time right now. Buy me a cheesesteak, I'll answer all your questions. <laughs> so we went to Delisandro the best cheesesteak in Philly. Right. No, it's the best. Okay. Um. And I started asking him questions, and he said, when Jesus says heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, or just kingdom, what he's talking about is why he's here and what he's here to do. He even says the gospel. In Matthew 4.23, it's the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. So what did Jesus mean when he said heaven and meant kingdom? And how should that shift how we think about heaven? Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about our common misconceptions about heaven and hell. How many times we have this cultural imagination that's filled in some of the gaps. And if you go back to scripture, many times we are talking about things a little bit differently than we're thinking about them. So my mind was spinning as Dr. Mangum spoke in between bites two cheesesteak and answering questions, um, because everything he was telling me was different than what I had been taught. And what I was taught was to reframe kingdom, kingdom of God, and kingdom of heaven to always mean heaven. Like I was taught, as you're reading this, if you see the word kingdom or kingdom of God or eternal life, all those words mean heaven. And here was a seminary professor telling me something different. I was taught to reread heaven into these passages, this cloud dimension where the disembodied souls of the followers of Jesus would live forever. So I began to read the Bible, reread the Bible a little over a year and a half ago, and try my best not to read heaven into the text, but to read what the text actually says. And what I found surprised me: Jesus doesn't talk a lot about heaven, but he talks a lot of time talking about the kingdom. One of the biggest surprises for me was the story of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. You know that story, you've probably heard it. Even if you've not been around church or you're not familiar with Christianity, you've probably seen some reenactment of the story. It's in Luke 23, verses 39 and 43. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. And while you're at it, save us too. But the other criminal rebuked him, don't you fear God, he asked? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We are getting exactly what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus answered him and said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's just not what I expect would be here in the story. I automatically read different things into this story. This little story rocked my theological framework because he didn't say, Jesus, remember me when you get to heaven. Jesus didn't say, today you will be with me in heaven. But years of being in church have taught me to read that into the text. But if I do that, I'm going to miss the bigger story that the Bible is trying to tell. The entire storyline of the Bible is that there are two kingdoms ruled by one king, but one kingdom rebelled and wanted to rule themselves, and as a result, the kingdom has been wrecked. And rapids, but now the good king is coming back to take over the ruined kingdom and set things right. We've twisted the story of the Bible so that it's about us, when really it's about Jesus, King Jesus. He's the main character, not me. The thief asks Jesus to remember him when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds by telling the man that he would be with him in paradise today. Now, if that's all we knew about what happened after we died, that would be enough. It's a good place, it's a paradise, and Jesus is there, right? That's enough. If that's the only verse we have. We actually have more than that. And paradise actually tells us a lot more about how Jesus envisioned what happens when we die. The word paradise is the word that the Jews used for Eden. This was the Greek word that the first century Hebrews would use to describe Eden. In fact, the Greek word means beautiful garden, and it came to be the way that first century rabbis would talk about the, the Eden garden at the very beginning of the story of the Bible. The kingdom of earth, when God still wrote it before the rebellion and dark, dark ones led us to believe we could roll our planet better, that was Eden. That was the Greek word, paradise. And so the thief says kingdom and jesus says eden and i think they're saying the exact same thing the entire storyline of the bible ends in revelation 21 with a garden city from which king jesus rules the world here's what it says in revelation 21 verse 3. i heard a loud voice from the throne in the new jerusalem saying look god's dwelling place is now among the people he will live with them That lead his people god himself will be with them and be their god he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes there'll be no more death there'll be no more mourning there'll be no more crying no more pain for the whole kingdom has passed away so with this shift in mind with this different way of thinking i want us to turn and look at one of the most attributed passages to heaven in the teaching of jesus in john 14 verses 1 through 7. in john 14 it says Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord Thomas asked, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way to a place that we don't even know where you're going? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you also know my Father. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Now, depending on what English translation of the Bible that you're using, verse two may read as, in my Father's house are any mansions. And even if it doesn't read that way, you've probably heard that, right? Maybe you've heard a song talk about that. You've heard a sermon talk about that. This is an unfortunate holdover from the King James translation, when the word mansion meant something different. Than it does today in the 1600s mansions were the rooms in a palace where visitors uh, to the king from the royal family who were visiting or other dignitaries could stay in when they visited the king they were rooms in the palace they weren't manors or castles like their own little mansions like they are today you drive down the main line today you see mansions you're like that's a mansion you know what I mean? they've got some money very different word used in 1600s so spoiler alert you're not going to have a giant mainline mansion in the world to come. <laughs> sorry for that a disappointment. If you were holding out, you're like, I live in a small house now, but in that next life, I'm going to have a mainline mansion. No, you're not, you're not. I've heard that preach, though. I've heard it preach in, uh, in sometimes, even that everyone is going to have a mansion, but depending on how faithful you are, your mansion will be bigger or smaller. That's simply not what the Bible says. That's not what it teaches. That's totally made up. Now, that's a great way to manipulate people into volunteering at church, and it's a great way to get people to give more money to your church. Like, you want that bigger mansion in the next life, right? You've got to give, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Most scholars teach think Jesus is likely conjuring up images of a series of family dwellings built around a central courtyard. This is very different than we live today. This is very different than we build houses today. As the family expanded, more houses would be added into this little square um, centered around this one central house that was there first. It would be like having a common driveway and yard and garage with everyone in your family. Archaeologists have actually found buildings that look exactly like this in Palestine. Um, one of the ones that are reconstructing as they're excavating is right in Nazareth, where Jesus lived and grew up. A common term in the Hebrew Bible for this house literally means the father's household or the father's house. It's called the Betab. And the Betab, or physical structure where the family lived, they would live together for generations. And so when your son got older and he took a wife and he wanted to move away, he would add a room onto the house where the family lived. Sometimes you'd have five generations living together. Um, I think we have a, a design. This is a, a house that they were excavating in Nazareth. It always has a single entrance, entrance into a courtyard, and then you have all these rooms that are interconnected and they all exit into the courtyard and the entrance. The track link is actually a large meal room where there would be a big table and the whole family would come together to have shared meals. If you were to enter one of these houses, you had to enter through the gate, which I think naturally ties into what Jesus was talking about in John 10 when he says, I am the gate. If you're going to get into this family of God, you've got to come through me. I'm the gate. I'm the only way in. There would be a large outer court and an inner court, and it would be shared by many families. Some of the respects they had had up to five families living in the same area, in low-roofed, because it's a rocky territory. Sometimes they would have caves that they navigated or integrated into the house. What Jesus seems to be suggesting is that he's inviting his disciples, students of the way that he lived in love, to be family with God. He's like, come live in the family house with me. Over and over again in John 14, he uses family language like father, son, home, orphan. But this unique phrase, the father's house, is curious. Jesus called it my father's house. In the first century, this could be a reference to this family dwelling or it could be a reference to the family itself, just like in Game of Thrones. What's House Stark? It's Winterfell, but it's also John and Arya and Dan and Bran and Sansa. The house was the place, but the house could also be the people. Mm-hmm. Now, this is also curious because Jesus uses the exact same phrase, my father's house once before in the Gospels. So it's what's When did he use the phrase, my father's house, once before in the Gospels?
1: Yeah, I yeah. I'd make the difference
0: then, but I am just not What do you think? No idea. Okay, I'll tell you. Luke 2, verse 49. Why are you searching for me? Jesus asked them. Didn't you know it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? Remember he's a young man and his mom's looking for him. He's like, ah, where is he? do no, you know where he is? Nobody you knows where he is. And they go back and he's sitting in the temple teaching. He's talking to the religious leaders and asking them questions and teaching them things. And um, he goes, didn't you expect that I'd have to be in my father's house? And he uses the same word. The same word. So ready to get tricky with me? It's always weird when a pastor asks me to go on a trip with him, right? (laughs) Not that kind of trip, guys. My trip. Jesus used the phrase, his father's house, to refer to the temple. And I don't think Jesus is saying, there's lots of rooms in the temple. We should all move into the temple and live there. Uh, He's not telling his students, like, we're all about to move into the temple. Like, get your stuff, get ready. But remember what Isaiah said when we looked at the Old Testament view of heaven and he had this vision of heaven, and it was in the temple? Let's go one step further. The temple was decorated with fruit trees and seraphim. It was supposed to be an Eden spot, a place where God ruled and reigned on earth, which brings us back to what the thief on the cross said. He said, When you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, Today you will be with me in Eden, paradise. There's plenty of space in Eden for you to live in God's country where he rules as king. He's saying, I'm going to create a special place for you so that you instantly feel like home when you get to God's country. I imagine in God's country, everything we've ever lost will be found. It will instantly feel like home. It will feel like everywhere else we've ever been, we haven't ever really belonged, but we belong there. Or in the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, when the king returns everything sad will come and true. Or in the words of C.S. Lewis, being in the presence of God will be so good it will work backwards and turn even the agony of our past into glory. Now, I love Thomas. Every time Thomas comes up in the Bible, I'm like, I love this guy. It's like they put Alex in the pages of the Bible. I just feel like Thomas and I could be kin uh, because we think the same way. He's the doubter, the questioner. Everything he asks is gold. He asks that question that nobody else wants to ask. And then everybody's kind of annoyed that he asked, but also glad that he did. I'm so grateful one of Jesus' closest friends was a doubter, an agnostic, a skeptic, because that gives me hope that I be Jesus' friend too. And Thomas asks the obvious question. He goes, you say you're going somewhere. Where are you going? If we don't know where you're going, how can we know how to get there? And notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm going to heaven, and I'm the only way to heaven. That's what we usually read into the text. He says, I'm going to my father. That's where it's going. If this series does nothing else for you, if every other message goes away, please, please, let's do this one thing. Let's change our definition of heaven from being about a place to being about a person. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to my father. Heaven is where Jesus is, Heaven is where Jesus is king. Heaven is where he's at and we're with him. Being with him is heaven. Heaven isn't good if Jesus happens to be there. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. It's where Jesus is. So what does the Bible tell us about what to expect in this world to come, this Eden, this family house, this being with Jesus? I've heard sermons where pastors have stood up and they're like, "Mm hmm heaven, the life to come, it's going to be a never-ending church service. I don't know about you. I'd sit out there and I'd be like, that's something else we want my help. Like, you have a never-ending church service hours. they're like way overestimating how good they think their church services are. <laughs> because they're two hours sitting there on a Sunday and I'm like, I'm bored for about an hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> if this comes on for eternity, do I want to be there? Do I want to be about that? Thankfully, the life to come, the world to come, being with Jesus, doesn't look like a never ending church service. It doesn't look like you singing a thousand verses of some old hymn. It doesn't look like one guy standing up and doing a monologue forever while your mind thinks about something else. Here's some verses from the Old and New Testament. Here's some of the things it talks about in this world to come where God will rule and reign on earth. We will rule and reign with Jesus to expand beauty and order. We'll judge angels. We'll enjoy the good world. We'll heal the nations. We will worship. We will sing and dance. We will make art and literature. We will eat and drink. We will play with animals. And this, I'm really excited about this. In Isaiah 11, 8, it talks about how the dangerous animals will no longer be dangerous. Ever since I read Kelvin and Bob's as a kid, I wanted a pet tiger. And uh, so the world will look a lot like Tiger King. But <laughs> well, without the attempted murder and the animal abuse. But, you know, you'll be able to have a pet tiger and, you know, you'll be able to snuggle up to a tiger and he's not going to hurt you. So, Tiger King, a picture of the life to come of Jesus. Um, we will marvel and wonder and discover and be with Jesus forever. But above all, we will be with him and we will become like that's the promise of discipleship, that's the hope of the gospel, that when we will be raised from the dead and live in a kingdom of heaven on earth with Jesus as our king. Every human being on this planet longs for the day when Jesus becomes king.
1: You say, Wait a minute. what about the people who aren't
0: religious, who want nothing to do with Jesus? They look out here and see how broken the world is, and they're like, I wish some people would fix it. Like, maybe if we had more money, it would fix it. Or maybe if we had more education, it would fix it. Or if we had better government, it would fix it. But when Jesus comes, everything will get fixed. And everybody on this planet, whether they're religious or spiritual or not, longs for that day. Jesus ends John 14 like this. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you I did not give to you as the world gives, but wanting something back or giving and never actually falling through, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away. Now hear and believe this. I am coming back to you. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're afraid of, whatever feels overwhelming all encompassing, all controlling, just suffocate. Don't be afraid. The king. That's right. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you that you went away, but you didn't go away to leave us. You went away to get ready for the invasion that's going to take back the planet and make things right. Cancer is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Evil, destruction, poverty, and racism are going to go away, but you are coming, and you're coming to set everything right. God, we are ready for you. We're going to be a colony of heaven, living and loving like you right now, and we're excited about the day you're going to come and set everything else right. God, may we live without fear. May we live with your peace. May we be people of peace and agents of love as we work within this crumbling kingdom with a vision of a kingdom that's coming where you are king. Amen. Amen.